you know, we realized really quickly that that people were um, struggling, understandably so, and didn't really know what to do. I remember, everybody remembers the date, March 13th. People left school, it was a Friday, and they thought they were coming back, and they didn't um, for a long, long time. And so I think that the way that we approached it was, um, you know, that knowing that we don't have all the answers, we're gonna work sort of tirelessly to make sure that folks have what they need. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores how we can help make an impact on our nation's highest growing student demographic, English language learners. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. Welcome to our season wrap-up episode, and what a season it was. We've released 49 episodes and covered so many topics since August of 2020, definitely a record for the three-and-a-half-year history of Highest Aspirations. So for our season finale, we thought we'd take some time to reflect on what we've learned through so many rich conversations with our incredible guests. We'll also talk about some of our plans for the start of the new school year and unravel some of the conversations that we had over the course of the last year. In a bit of a role reversal, I handed the interview mic over to my colleague Haley Sandifer, Elevation's marketing coordinator. A big part of Haley's role is collaborating with me to create, edit, and share our free ELL community content, including the Highest Aspirations podcast. Before joining Elevation, Haley worked as a communications fellow through Leadership for Educational Equity at a parent advocacy group in Denver, Colorado. She originally became interested in education during her time with Teach for America, teaching first grade in Richmond, California. Haley's passion for education and in-depth knowledge of every podcast episode we've released this season that only comes from having to edit all those episodes led to a really unique episode with some great takeaways. As I think you'll hear, we really enjoyed it, and I hope you do too. Before we get started, one more reminder that to get all of the resources that I've been talking about, you can go to bit.ly slash getelresources, and there are no caps in that link. You can also follow the Highest Aspirations podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Thanks as always for listening. Steve Sofronis, thank you so much for joining us on Highest Aspirations. Haley Sandifer, it is good to be here, although I feel a little strange and nervous being on the other end of the conversation. Yeah, there's a lot of role reversals happening today. Absolutely. But I'm excited about it. And I'm excited to introduce you officially, the person who has been uh, doing a lot of the editing over the last three to four months where I've put out a lot of episodes. So excited for you to be a part of it. And, uh, and let's, let's see what happens. Yeah, I'm excited to dive in. So Steve, obviously you've been hosting Highest Aspirations for quite a few years. How many years have you been hosting it? It's been like three years, which is crazy to me. Yeah. So obviously in the last three years, it's like evolved and changed a bit over time. Um, However, I'd say this season was probably the most unlike any other. If we think back to when it really kicked off at the beginning of a school year where educators and administrators were facing so much uncertainty around like what the year would even really look like if it would be hybrid or what the back to school like reopening plans would be. And then also like building on that teachers were having to use new tactics in their classroom with remote learning that they were pretty unfamiliar with. It was just a lot of um, ambiguity and people being pushed out of their comfort zones. So Obviously, knowing all of this when we kicked off, would you say that you approached the season differently or how did knowing all of that kind of inform the direction that you wanted conversations to go? 
Yeah, totally. I, I definitely pre- uh, approached it differently. I mean, usually, you know, as you know, we're now just gearing up for the fall and, and thinking about guests to bring in. Uh, there's a shout out if anybody's interested in coming on the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us. Um, we'd love hearing from new people. But yeah, that's what we were doing. Um, and, you know, we realized really quickly that that people were um, struggling, understandably so, and didn't really know what to do. I remember, as everybody remembers the date, March 13th, people left school. It was a Friday and they thought they were coming back and they didn't um, for a long, long time. And so I think that the way that we approached it was... Um, you know, that knowing that we don't have all the answers, we're going to work sort of tirelessly to make sure that folks have what they need. So launching elevation distance learning was a big part of that. And on my part, kind of trying to put content out there, I really looked at my role as trying to bring people together. So we put out our look for the helper series, which was literally like I sent a Google form to everybody on the community brief and said, hey, if you're interested in coming on and telling us your story, please come on. Um, and I was working a lot, like a, a lot, just like everybody else. And my wife's a teacher. I was a teacher for a long, long time. Um, I felt really um, like I was in a really interesting position to be able to do what I could to help uh, knowing that I wasn't doing nearly the same work as teachers were. So the approach at the beginning was, let's make sure that we're bringing in people who can form some kind of community, um, who can tell their story and help others really in, in the acute kind of issues that we were facing. And over time, it evolved to, to people at, at a certain point kind of were over that understandably and thinking, all right, well, this is going to last long term. What, what does this mean long term? What are we going to do, um, particularly with our English learners, when we know that remote school is going to last for a long time? Uh, at that point, we transitioned into like the In This Together docuseries where we put mm-hmm. together a panel of six, uh, I'm sorry, of five administrators from around the country. That was amazing. Those people were inspirational, but just a cross section of teachers doing great work. Um, and then I think, you know, we finally kind of came back to like the idea of, all right, we'll kind of go back to our regular podcast, highest aspirations, but we, but it was always on our mind. You know, I think the idea of learning loss and the idea of, um, what, what are English learners missing when they're at home? What are they gaining? So it's been a constant learning process. Um, and I think for me, you know, I've heard the word silver linings a lot. Somebody who's been in education for a long time, I do see that there's a lot of, there are a lot of silver linings here. But there were also real, real struggles, and there still are. And um, I, I just felt really lucky to be able to to talk to so many people and learn so much. So um, I guess that the, that's a long answer. The short answer is it, it was we were building the ship as as planned as we flew it, just like everybody else, mm-hmm. and, and trying to make the right decisions. I'm sure we didn't do everything perfectly, um, but I'm, I'm I'm pretty proud of the work that we did. Yeah, as you should be. I think in my mind when I think about like the podcast as a whole and maybe for the last three years, like one way to think of it is kind of those like bite-sized PDs that people can consume when it's convenient and it's like an entertainment. And if they want to implement it at some point, they can, if not, they can just learn something and go about their day. But in the past like year, since the like whole pandemic started, it feels like there was a little bit more urgency around the content that you're putting out. And it was things that people needed and could take the next day into their classroom. And so that's also, I think, a shift that probably happened. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, PD is, is, has always been a, a tough kind of code to crack. I mean, everybody needs it to be personalized. And I don't look at the conversations we have as like heart, you know, PD. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't ever think, I hope nobody thinks that they should listen to that. They're going to listen to this and then have something like they're going to use right away tomorrow. In some mm-hmm. cases, I suppose there are, 
But I think the value that it provides is, is hopefully a little bit of inspiration. And then to take the next step, which as you know, is kind of the work that we're doing now, trying to mm-hmm. put out takeaways from the episodes, trying to put them in more digestible um, uh, uh, sort of media formats so mm-hmm. that folks can, can consume them when they need to. Right. Absolutely. Um, awesome. So the next thing I kind of want to talk about, we had a variety of guests and topics that were covered throughout the season, which was obviously intentional because it's not just direct language instruction that makes a successful multilingual education program. There's so many different things that go into it. Um, And you know this because as you mentioned earlier, you were a teacher for many, many years before you came to Elevation. Um, However, the whole time you were teaching, to my knowledge, you didn't actually experience remote learning from that instructional end. And so I'm sure that having all that teacher background, when you're having these conversations with educators or people in the education space, there's constantly probably connections and you're thinking about what things would look like in your classroom. And so I'm wondering if there was ever an episode or an instructional strategy that a guest shared that you felt like, wow, if I was teaching right now in this remote environment, that is something that I would absolutely be using in my classroom or like a light bulb moment where you thought that was such a great idea that you, if you were teaching, would absolutely want to use. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to like zoom out a little bit and say that, you know, I, I was, I was a high school Spanish teacher for a long time. And I would say the last like decade of my career as I, I sort of, when I felt like I knew what I was doing content wise, you're always learning, but I, I felt pretty skilled there. I was always thinking about how I could best personalize instruction and how technology could be used to, to make that happen. And so, you know, I, I tinkered with the flipped classroom back when it was a very, not many people were doing it. And, and that led me to a tool called Edmodo, which if anybody remembers it, it's basically what, what Google Classroom is now to kind of put the videos up. And my whole idea there was it, teaching language, Spanish. I wanted my students to be able to get the information that I would normally stand in front of the class and teach them uh, in video format in small chunks, four to five minutes long when they could. So that doesn't necessarily mean for homework, if they had time during the school day or even in class, they could do it then so that we could dedicate our class time uh, to, to really practicing, reading, writing, listening, and speaking. Um, and I, I mentioned that because that's like, I always wanted that to happen. I always looked at myself as kind of like an entrepreneur in a school. I like trying to like, that's a term. I think, I don't that, I think that term actually exists, but, I, but it, it, the, does now. The, it does now. The definition is that I would want people in my school to like, to like take, to do that and make that happen. But of course you're working under constraints when you're working in a, in a public high school. And so to me, and, and, and I, I've, I've, have a degree in technology and innovation education from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm still involved there. So it's a, that's a big deal for me. Like all this stuff is like really, really important to me, blended learning, the power of personalization, all that stuff. So uh, when the pandemic hit, it, it, at first, obviously we were just trying to deal with the, the, the acute issues we were dealing with, but it became like, all right, this is an opportunity to make this happen. And while while I, a part of me is, 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 um, is grateful that I didn't have to experience all the difficulties and challenges that teachers had during this time, a big part of me wishes that I were in the classroom um, or teaching remotely because of all the things that that I learned. Easy for me to say I was not. Um, but I do think that there's a great opportunity right now, especially right now going into a new school year to rethink what we're doing. And this, is, this isn't a new conversation. People have been talking about this a lot. And so to, to really get to your question, you know, you asked if there were specific 
strategies that I would use in terms of strategies. There were, there were two, there's two episodes that really stick in, out of my mind. One is with Stephen Fleener, who's, um, who's a science teacher, works with um, English learners, a, a master uh, at, at using um, manipulatives and visuals in both um, uh, face-to-face and remote environments. And he really like did a ton of work to make sure that all of the things that he was using specifically for English learners so that they could excel in STEM classes um, could be used remotely. And they're simple. They're not new tools that you have to learn how to do. I was really impressed by him. So that was, I think, back, uh, I think that was in September um, of last year, that episode. Phenomenal. He was just, he's great. He's been on a couple of times and I can't say enough good things about him. Um, he's, he's one of the folks at Sidelots Education. And we bring in a lot of those people because they're, they're really great. The other one, um, and so Stephen Flinders like in the field doing the work, although he's doing research as well. Karen Gregory and Gretchen Oliver from Clarkston um, University um, do a, a great job at talking about how we can use kind of tried and true strategies in a remote environment. And I won't get into it because there's a lot there, but that episode um, is, is phenomenal. Maybe we can link to it. And they actually ended up joining us on our EL Impact Conference in November. Um, and that, that particular session was really, really popular. I was on it and the comments and the appreciation um, were great. So if you don't know their work, I would, I would check that out because... Um, it's it's stuff that that is based on what we best practices that we know already work, but can be transferred synchronously, asynchronously, remotely, face to face. They're really, really in a good position. They were studying this stuff before. Actually, their background is they had an online teacher preparation program for graduate students working for ELs. So they mm-hmm. they just converted everything around. In some ways, it was like a really good um, kind of transition for them to make a forced transition. So those are the two that I would that I would definitely bring up. Okay. Awesome. That's really helpful. And I mean, like we kind of touched on earlier, we have started posting like a blog that goes with most of our podcast episodes. So I think this one, if you're listening and you want to go back and reference any of the episodes we bring up, we'll probably just do kind of like a list and you can go and listen to those from there. Um, But that's awesome. And it sounds like technology was very much had a role in your classroom before. And obviously it wasn't like you weren't teaching at a time where that was the only option was to teach virtually and remotely, but you already had kind of seen the value in that. And so that kind of brings up the idea of what, when we go back to school in the fall, what will we take from the pandemic and remote learning? What are some of those things that because we were forced and teachers were forced to kind of like adopt these new methods is of course that's like difficult and there's things that I'm sure people are so excited to like get back to school and get back to that like normal routines and the way things used to be but I I think it's important in that rush to get back to normal that we don't forget about the things that we discovered during the pandemic that have value or that people were kind of like pushed to start using that they might actually want to continue using so how do you think the last year, and this came up with a lot of guests that so you can also reference any great conversations we had about that, but how do you think the last year and a half of remote and hybrid teaching might kind of reimagine or change how people approach teaching when we're back in the classroom? Yeah, it's a good question. And I, I it would be really hard for me to mention specific episodes and people because everybody talked about this. So right. I'll, I'll, I'll try to, and that's important. I'll try to address the question kind of from two perspectives, one from a teacher or administrator perspective and one from a student perspective. And then maybe I'll talk a little bit about like 
I don't know my, my prediction moving forward, both positive and maybe negative in some ways. So I think from the teacher perspective, PD, professional development, teacher learning. Um, I, I don't think I talked with anybody who said um, that the PD I'm getting now during the pandemic is terrible because um, I have to do it remotely. And I'm sure that those people are out there. But PD, I think in many places, um, uh, it, it was a broken system. I don't think it was personalized to what teachers really need, particularly if teachers working with multilingual learners. Um, there are places that do it really, really, really well. And we've talked with a lot of people like that. Lamarck alone from Prince William County, um, uh, Vicki Saldala from Broward County, among many others. I said I wasn't going to mention people, but here I am. Um, and you're not. Right. But uh, but the um, the 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 idea that people could could either do PD synchronously from their homes or asynchronously from wherever they wanted, mostly from home, um, was huge for teachers. They talked about, you know, they didn't have to run around to 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 giant rooms in the district in the middle of traffic. They were able to take it on in their time. They were able to personalize it because the pandemic kind of forced um, PD providers to kind of put together like menus of here's what, here's what we have available. And that I think created a little bit of innovation because it created some choice, some agency, which I think is, is huge. Um, giving teachers the choice of not only what PD they want to consume, but how they consume it and when they consume it and where they consume it, that trust factor, which I think is really important. So that was the big thing for teachers. Um, for students, first of all, I, I don't want to leave this conversation without like addressing the fact that there are some students, not I, probably not the majority, but there are some students, English learners, um, who, who, who thrived in this, in this situation. Not many, but there are those who did. And so the takeaway there, I think, is how do we personalize an educational experience so it works best for every student? How do we make sure that students are getting what they need? We know how to do this now. So how do we, how do we blend it? How do we give students the opportunity to work in a way that that best suits them, but also, and also not, but, and also allows them to thrive and access um, rigorous content. Huge question, not a simple answer, but I think that that is something that, um, you know, we have the tools now. Teachers know how to do this, some better than others, and some, you know, are going to not be too excited to teach remotely. And I totally get that. I have four kids at home of my own. My wife and I are both teachers. It was a disaster trying to teach our, I mean, it was really, really hard. And thank God for those teachers for providing that extra support. Um, you know, my fear here, and I'm not a negative person, but my fear is uh, that muscle memory will kick back in right. and we'll go back into what we know and what we, what we, what we're craving, understandably. Um, I think we have to make sure, and this is, I think, a leadership thing. We have to make sure that we're, we're using the situation to continue to innovate. And like I said, try to find ways to reach all of our students. Um, so I hope that somehow addresses your question. Absolutely. It did. And I think that we even talked about kind of briefly like COVID silver linings earlier. And I think what you just said with like the innovations that have pretty much been like forced because of the situation, but really great things have come from that. Um, and just kind of that like adaptiveness that educators have shown has been really awesome and something that definitely we wouldn't want to lose that spirit going back to school. And you talked about a few different ways that you hope that school can kind of be reimagined, things that have come up during the pandemic, new practices and things. Something that I was really impressed with during the season with a few of our different guests that came on to talk about was 
the way that during the pandemic, people have found like really creative and innovative ways to reach EL families and keep them engaged because it just became absolutely necessary and they lost a lot of the ways that in conventional school or back when we were just fully in person, like a lot of those ways that we'd normally be reaching families were no longer an option and it became something that people had to just become really resourceful and they, there was just some really amazing new strategies and programs that came out of this. Um, so were there any conversations or strategies that came up during this season about family engagement that you were particularly impressed by? Yeah, so many. F family <laughs> engagement, I feel like would come up in almost every conversation that we had. And we had some that were dedicated to that, many that mm -hmm. were dedicated to that. And it's just such, it's just so nice to see that. It's so nice to see that there's, there's, a, there's a spotlight being shined on that very important issue that I feel like has always been something that, that we've said. And I, as a teacher too, I'm guilty of this of saying like, we have to do this. We have to, and, and I, I didn't do it as well as I could have. Mm -hmm. My school didn't do it as well as we could have. And I worked the second district I worked at was, was a district where parents were just kind of like inherently engaged. The first mm -hmm. district I worked at was not. And it was many of the same issues that, 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 that our listeners are, are dealing with. Um, so I was really impressed at the beginning of the pandemic, how teacher educators, anybody involved in schools, really, because this is everybody, not just teachers, not just administrators, um, but cafeteria staff, technology, everybody in schools were doing these incredible things to make sure that students had what they needed and their families had what they needed. So while they were, for example, because people forget that not our listeners, but many people forget that, uh, a school is not only a place for learning, it's a place of safety. It's a place where students get food that they need, nutrition. And so those things were still happening. So, um, you know, there are so many examples of school staff um, going to a place where they would, um, families would be able to pick up food. And with the food, they would give them an iPad or mm. whatever it was that they were using for technology. Mm -hmm. And with that, they would give them... Um, you know, packets or videos or whatever the case may be translated in so many different languages so that they were multitasking. They were doing all of these things at once. They knew that families were going to come at this time and they knew that that was going to be a touch point. They weren't seeing them. And so that FaceTime was so, so important. Um, and not surprisingly, the districts that had great family engagement um, programs in place mm -hmm. knew how to do this. They just right. adapted. The ones that didn't um, had a hard time, but you know what? Now they learned to do it. And they learn mm -hmm. the value of family engagement. And so it's the same thing as I was saying before, it's like, how do we make changes? Like, you got to keep that going, right? You got to keep keep doing those things that that worked. We we did a recent episode with um, Francisco Mesa and Elba Solis from, from Whittier um, in Southern California. And they created this Parent Mentor Academy that is really unbelievable. And they started it like, I think right before the pandemic hit. And then they just, they just didn't stop. They kept doing it. They did everything virtually and online. And it was a great way to not only get families like involved in what was happening in the schools and give them information, but also empower them to be able to help other parents navigate, for example, the college admissions uh, process um, or navigate online learning or whatever the case may be. Um, it was really... It, there was an article about it that I read and I said, I, I have to get in touch with these folks. And luckily they, they came on and they just, it's, it's, it's something that is replicable. Um, mm -hmm. it, it is not, it does not require a tremendous amount of, of resources outside resources or funding. Um, and I was just really, really impressed by that because it was different. It was novel. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but but again, like it's like the other question. There are so many, so so many people doing amazing things um, on behalf of of families. You know, the other one that I would that I guess I would mention is is Julie Allen at mm-hmm. um, International Community School in Clarkston, which is the, they call it the most diverse square mile in the United States. Thirty three languages. Um, crazy half the pop crazy in a good way half the pop population are, are newcomers and and els and half are um are, are sort of more traditional students and they do an amazing job um reaching out to families and they have some outside help too. new american pathways we profiled with rebecca masters recently mm-hmm. um so there's a lot of ways to do it but um those are the two that i guess stick out but it was just so impressive to see what folks were doing all around the country yeah those were definitely two episodes and conversations that stood out to me as well and i think like a big takeaway that I had after those was like, of course, like having to reach out to families when there are like so many different languages that are spoken can feel very overwhelming. And like the like consistency and like frequency that the outreach needs to be happening can feel like a lot. But I think one of the things I was most impressed with, with all of what the work that all those people were doing was how like sustainable their programs were. And I think a big part of the sustainability was that they didn't just like hand information to families. They were like utilizing families, like families were part of the communication process with like that phone chain that they did. And like families are mentors, parents are coming in and learning and then teaching other families. So instead of seeing like a large volume of parents that need to be reached, that speak another language as like a burden, seeing it as like another tool that you can use and make the programs and things just like sustainable and kind of carry themselves after a while. It's a really good point, and it reminds me of uh, a book by Karen Mapp, who's a family engagement expert at Harvard Graduate School of Education, who I had the pleasure of working with five or six years ago on one of her courses. Um, uh, her course is Introduction to Family Engagement. I think you can still get it for free on Harvard X and edX. Um, unbelievable. But she wrote a book called Beyond the Bake Sale. She wrote it a long time ago, but it just encapsulates everything that you're talking about. Beyond the bake sale, I mean, you know, bake sales traditional, come on in and we'll right. meet you and, and you leave. It has to be sustainable. And you're right. All of these um, episodes talked about things that were sustainable, scalable, that didn't require, I mean, it requires work, right? And dedication, mm-hmm. um, but not the kind of work that drives people away because they right. don't have time for their own families and their own lives. Right. Absolutely. So I kind of have one more content question that I want to go down and it's a little bit heavier, but I think it's just really important. Um, This season, we had really just powerful conversations with guests about trauma and the experiences that migrants and refugees face when they're immigrating to the U.S. and after they've crossed the border and then largely kind of how this can manifest for students in the classroom. But then also looking at that from the angle of like, what do educators need to be able to support those students and how can we make like life more sustainable for those educators in those positions as well. And for those who don't know, I actually did teach for two years before I came to Elevation and thinking back on my experience as a teacher, one thing I really wish that I would have had a deeper understanding of is just my students lived experiences and things that I couldn't really relate to firsthand. And I didn't really know how to like seek out resources or I just didn't know exactly how I could educate myself without putting the burden on like young students to explain their experiences to me. Um, But I wanted to be able to support them. And I think that's probably an experience that a lot of teachers feel or are having. So 
I'm curious if there's any conversations that you found really helpful or impactful that you would maybe direct a listener who is similarly kind of seeking more insight and resources for supporting their newcomers toward. Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that question. And first I'll say that, you know, your experience as a teacher, I think not necessarily knowing what to do um, is not unique and it's not Mm -hmm. uncommon. And it's something that's been going on for a long, long time. I have a similar story I can remember like it was yesterday. It was not, it was many, many years ago. It was my first year of teaching and I was 22 years old. I probably had no business being in a high school classroom. I wasn't much older than the students I was teaching and I didn't have a tremendous amount of training. That's another story for another time. But, but I, I was confronted with a student who was dealing with some, some real trauma to which I could not relate. And all I could do is listen. And I remember saying to them, I, I, I can listen to you. I don't know how to help you. Um, I, 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 I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I, I hope that listening helped and, you know, eventually there, there were guidance counselors and folks, but those people also weren't equipped to deal with the kind of issues that, 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 that we're dealing with. So I guess I say that to let people know that, like, we don't have all the answers yet to this, um, but the guests that we had this season was like, it, it, it's, I mean, it really makes me kind of emotional just even thinking about them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, one of the last ones that we had was, um, was Dr. Uh, Delaya, who uh, came from Honduras, um, one of the most dangerous places in the world, San Pedro Sula, when he was 13, did the trek to the United States, um, made it to American soil, like many others, to, to reunite with his mother, um, who is here, and to flee violence. Um, and now he's working uh, at an educational company to help English learners who dealt with the same issues that, that he dealt with. And that conversation to me, I was like, I, I could barely talk. I mean, I, I haven't listened to it since I did it. So I don't know how it went, but I know that for him. I have, it went well. Okay, good. For, <laughs> on his, for his part, I just was listening so intently to what he was saying because not only he's, he's really an incredible person because he did it, he went through it. And now he's on the other side. He's, he's, he's helping others. He understands he has a PhD. He's done all the research. I always talk about, we need to bridge the gap between research and practice. I mean, th- he's the perfect example of somebody who has done that and he's humble um, and he's kind and he's honest. Um, mm-hmm. And so l- just listen, I-, I don't need to say anything else. He talks about the trauma. He talks about um, ways that, that we can help. Um, but I think he-, he would also say, and I, I-, I hope um, that, you know, we don't have all the answers yet. But listening and forming relationships and giving students the, the ability to tell their stories. And he also mentioned over and over again, the tenacity, the grit, the adaptability, the capability of these students. One of the things he said, you don't get to the United States when you're 13 years old from Honduras, unless you are a very special person who is able right. to deal with a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. And that should be embraced by our schools. But the trauma that these students deal with, and he dealt with a lot of it, and he talked explicitly about it, can mask um, that uh, that ability and that uh, intelligence and and um, potential that these students mm-hmm. have. I think that's the word I was looking for. So listen to that one. He was great. And then the other ones, I mean, Dr. Uh, Edith Trevino, Dr. E.T., mm-hmm. as she's known in Texas, mm-hmm. educational consultant, also dealt with trauma that she talks very explicitly about dealing with 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 violence on the border. Mm-hmm. Um, she has actually worked with 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 Juan Luis Elaya, and so they're they're kind of colleagues. 
she she kind of talks about it from a different perspective, really gives teachers um, some strategies of how to work with those students. But again, another person who is just so honest and so humble and so kind and so willing to tell their story, their stories. She was great. Um, and then, of course, I think maybe two years ago now, we had Sonia Nasadio on who wrote Enrique's right. Journey, which is just such a great book. She didn't. She, so she experienced it differently. She, as a journalist, rode on the trains on La Bestia uh, right. to, to, to empathize and understand the story. So she wrote a whole book about it. She's, mm-hmm. she's fierce. She's, she's, she spoke at one of our um, company elevations, uh, elevations meetings and just a fierce advocate. Um, mm-hmm. So she's wonderful as well. And then I'd go back to, I mean, uh, you know, Julie Allen is somebody who works with a lot of these students as a mm-hmm. CEO of a school. Um, and there are many, many others um, who who are working at schools with students who are newcomers who maybe haven't had the same experiences, lived experiences as somebody mm-hmm. like, but who are working with these students all the time and who have learned a tremendous amount. So I'm just so thankful uh, to those people for coming on and speaking with us, but also, and I keep saying about, and also thankful for uh, all of the administrators and teachers who perhaps don't have those lived experiences, but are doing the absolute best they can to work mm-hmm. with these students. And they do see their potential, which is so huge. Yeah, absolutely. We did have just like such an all-star lineup of people. And I thought it was just so amazing how like every guest who came on and like just shared any part of their story was so vulnerable and open. And there's so much value in that because getting to like really hear such a like raw and honest, like place that they're coming from and like sharing their experiences, I think is like really helpful for people who just want to understand more so they can better. And then having those guests also talk about like what they needed as a student and what they're doing to support students now and how like anyone can really be just like a great listener and like be supportive and helpful of students. I think that was, there was just so much value in that. So I'm glad we had a really strong theme of like supporting newcomers and just ELs in general throughout the whole season. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, I have to credit lots of people for 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 recommending those people, because oftentimes I'll read an article and I'll reach out or you will, Haley, and, and we'll mm-hmm. and we'll reach out to people. But um, Juan Luis Delia was recommended by John Seidlitz, who's a great partner of ours. I mentioned before, um, uh, I think Julie Allen. I know Julie Allen was recommended by Connor Williams, who is a journalist and the first person mm-hmm. ever to come on Highest Aspirations when I had no idea if anybody would come on. He said yes. Um Rebecca Masters was mentioned by Julie Allen. Right. Dr. Edith Trevino, I believe, was mentioned by someone at Elevation. So it's like this unbelievable network of people mm-hmm. who make who sort of make this happen. And, you know, like the conversations are hopefully they are I- inspirational and hopefully they do. I don't know how you walk away from a conversation like one of these it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with these people and, the, and what they tell without being somewhat moved, um, mm-hmm. which I think is a goal, right? Like we're not going to give you, I don't think strategies that you could use in class tomorrow because it's not the format for that. We can do that in other ways and we try right. to, but if you could be a little inspired to take the next step, I think that's what the goal is. And I don't see how that's not possible with those kinds of guests for sure. Right. Absolutely. I guess kind of piggybacking off of that, we had just like, we have just such strong guests that are continually coming on. And I know that this is kind of the wrap up episode for the season and then there'll be the break for summer, but is there anything that we have in the works for the next season or just like anything that you can kind of tease and tell listeners that they can expect when they come back in the fall? Yeah, many things. And you know about those things too. So, (laughs) you know, I should say that, you know, this is now we've doubled our capacity since, since Haley joined. So people should hopefully expect more. Um, 
just high quality content, I guess. High quality content. Here. Yeah, exactly. Now that you're here, it's, it's going to be way, way more high quality. And it has been, honestly. I mean, I think that what we've seen over the last couple of months is, is, is having the capacity to take these episodes and repurpose them to, to hopefully give people, like you said, Haley, earlier blog posts with maybe three takeaways mm-hmm. that they can use. Um, and I, and I, I mean, I'll mention one and then I'd, I'd invite you to mention something to tease something maybe, but I think, yeah. I think that what folks can expect beyond the podcast, which will continue, um, is, is more sort of, um, packaged information in a way that, and content that, that they can access it in the way they want. So if you're not a podcast listener, fine. Like you can read this article or watch this quick video. Um, if you're somebody who's really interested in a topic, like for example, the trauma that students face that are newcomers, um, maybe there's a whole kind of package on that with a video mm-hmm. and a blog post and an article. And so those are some of the things that we're working on. I think moving more toward um, PD than just sort of mm-hmm. inspirational. So mm-hmm. I, I, that's kind of what I'm most excited about working on very soon. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's a big part of what's top of mind for me when we come back in the fall, which is just like, we already obviously have like a really incredible community that, you know, follows highest aspirations. And then um, the EL community, if people are subscribed and they get the brief each week where we send out resources and like really relevant news articles and opportunities, like learning opportunities that are coming up in multilingual education. And I think kind of taking that existing like energy and group that we have and making it like building out what it means to be part of the EL community and giving just like more and more variety and of different ways you can consume content and type of content that can be consumed. And I also am excited about hopefully in the fall, having created out a way for community members to communicate with each other and to share ideas and to discuss and respond and like have just like kind of a all-encompassing space where we can be like sharing resources, but also like giving people a platform to enjoy them and respond and learn together. So I would say that's something I'm excited about and people can expect in the next season as well. Yeah. I love it. And I would say we're holding ourselves accountable by saying it now. That's right. That's right. That's right. (laughs) We are holding ourselves accountable by saying it now. And I would say also if people are have ideas, um, and we send out a survey usually in the fall. We didn't do it this past fall because people were just busy um, about okay. ideas. But if you have ideas, like you should definitely email us and get in touch, and we'll put an email uh, on the show notes of this episode. Um, Great. We'd love to hear from you all for sure. That'd be fantastic. Well, I do have one final question. Okay. And all highest aspirations listeners know that kind of at the end of each interview that you conduct, you ask guests if they can recommend a book that had a big impact on their personal or professional life. So Steve, be honest, have you read or will you read any of the recommended books from guests this season? And then I'll also give you another out and you can recommend a book if there's something that no one has said so far. Okay. Uh, Yes, I have read a couple of the books. I haven't read them all. I actually just looked at our 10 summer reads list oh, yeah. to kind of see how many have I actually read. I, I <laughs> used to ask the question selfishly, honestly, and I hopefully right. I helped others as well because I was looking for books to read, but I've done like 150 of these. So it's hard to read all the books. And frankly, all the books aren't really like books that I necessarily want to read, although they're all useful. Um, right. I did read uh, because I interviewed them and I needed to read their book, the authors of Reading and Writing for English Learners by Valentina Gonzalez and Melinda Miller. 
Highly okay. recommend that book, particularly for teachers who are trying to do those things for elementary students, school students. Um, the other book that's on the 10 best reads, 10 summer reads list that I read was Enrique's Journey. Sonia Nasario obviously mm-hmm. interviewed her. I needed to read the book, but the book is unbelievable. It's so mm-hmm. good. And my kids have read it and lots of folks have read it. So it's really, really good. I'm going to read uh, Move Your Bus, which Katie Gardner oh, recommended. Yeah, she sold me on that one as well. Yeah, I'd heard it a bunch of times before. It's Other guests have mentioned it and I just haven't picked it up yet, but it's basically about sort of making anything that I can use that helps me both professionally and personally, I try to read. Um uh, r- book recommendations. So mm-hmm. I'm going to do it ev- like all of my guests do, which is not to give one, but give two. So right. the first one is, um, I think really applicable for what we're dealing with now. So it's called the end of average, um, mm-hmm. by Todd Rose, who is another, I keep mentioning these Harvard folks, but he's another uh, Harvard graduate graduate school of education person who wrote the book at the end of average to talk about the, um, the problems with trying to make everybody the same. Um, and he gives some really, really good examples, particularly students. He gives some really, really good examples um, of what we can do to help personalize, which we've talked a lot about during this conversation, mm-hmm. um, and to see the specific uh, positive attributes that um, that people bring to the table. He gives some really, really great examples that are real life and that really are are quite poignant. And it's really easy to read. It's he's got a great kind of um, narrative style, so it's not like a heavy academic book. I'd highly recommend at the end of average, Todd Rose. The other one that's more, um, uh, just, a, it's, I just love the book. It's kind of heavy, but it's, it's, it's a great, like kind of summer read. I think it's called, um, the honey bus by Meredith may. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, my, my wife is a, a beekeeper and I help, I'm not really a beekeeper. I help with it. So it's about bees and how they change this young woman's life, but it's not just about bees. It's about dealing with adversity and family and a lot of issues that go on there and how this particular woman um, use kind of the power of beekeeping, but it really could be anything to kind of help her through adverse times. You don't have to be into bees or nature or anything to read it. Um, it's just really, really uh, a great book, well-written and quite inspirational. So I would highly recommend that one as well. Well, Steve, this has been just a really enjoyable conversation. I hope listeners enjoyed getting to hear your take on the conversations you've had this season. I know I really liked getting to kind of look back and reflect with you. So thanks for letting me interview you. Yeah, you should host more. This was fun. <laughs> this was fun. Although you probably do, you do enough work as well with the editing, but Haley, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> and I really appreciate you putting these questions together. I didn't spend a whole ton of time with them because I wanted to be kind of spontaneous. But Off the cuff. Are- yeah, but you did a really good job putting them together and um, and putting the, the conversation together. So thank you so much uh, for, for this and for all of the other work you're doing for everybody listening. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.